0: Hey everyone! Welcome to another edition of Alt Protein Weekly. I'm Sonali Figueris, editor of Green Queen Media, and joining me is Steve Molino of Clear Current Capital. Hey, Steve.
1: Hey, Sonali. What's going on? How are you doing?
0: What do you mean? Forget about me. Let's talk about you. You're like at the Alt Protein Prom in the U.S. over at the Good Food Conference. How's it? Going I think over that's there? What it should be called be <laughs> called the all protein prom I right like this is my name it's, for it unfortunately i am not at prom oh god <laughs> just like no but it's good oh, so uh, it's good. <laughs> yeah no
1: but it's, it's it's great i mean so what's uh, to everyone else uh, i'm at the the good food conference in san francisco um it's been like a, a day and a half so far i have another full day ahead but it's run by gfi so the good food institute which is one of the the larger nonprofits in this space. And it's, it's been, it's been great. It's a lot like it's everyone and anyone that you'd want to see minus Sonali. And <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. I, I think this week I'm going to hold off on like big takeaways or anything like that. Cause that's still have a full day ahead today. And I'll, I'll hit on that next week, but, but it's been uh, it's been really, really great.
0: Yeah, I've been hearing awesome things and I can't wait for your takeaways next week. And um, I mean, yeah, the Good Food Institute obviously does incredible work, especially on the science policy and funder side of things. Um, And they just, they really, they put out great information. And I think it's one of those conferences where they really reunite some really high caliber um, talent, especially on the science and policy side, which tends to not be as those folks tend not to be as well represented in more kind of you know food service or or CPG conferences so it's great to see
1: yeah no i agree i agree but yeah how's everything on your end i feel like i feel like it's it's really funny as we were just about to start this this episode i get an email from the the source green newsletter which for anyone that doesn't know sonali does like 15 different things and she's like the ceo of all of them and yeah. it's just funny to be starting something with you and then basically get an email from you and your team on something else. So you're you're nonstop.
0: Yeah, that's my other company. That's that's the world of <laughs> and and waste. And there's just so much to do in that world. But here we talk about all things food. Um <laughs> it's it's been another just just crazy week in terms of news. I I'm actually really starting to think about doing something where I cut the newsletter into it's just there's so much in there and I just I'm not sure everyone can get through all of it so there's just so many so many stories so much news um our big story this week is about McDonald's Netherlands um which is now listing meat-free items before beef on its menus it's it's really interesting because so They've added new dishes, including burgers, nuggets, and salad, which join the Beyond Meat-based McPlant. So just for folks who are not aware, the McPlant in the U.S. was trialed and then it wasn't continued. But in Europe, it's going on really strong. Um, Europe is an interesting market because it's a market where Impossible Foods has not launched yet. So in terms of the big, especially U.S., Based brands beyond still is quite a fixture both in retail and in food service. And of course, with its partnership with McDonald's, um, it's quite visible um with the with the McPlant. And the McPlant is in multiple countries across Europe. In fact, the McPlant also just launched this week at McDonald's in Switzerland and Slovenia. Um, but with this new menu change, the fast food chain is really looking. It says it's looking to meet consumers' plant-based demands. Um, not the dishes are not all vegan or plant-based by default. They just include plant-based ingredients. And it's really more about reducing and m- being meatless and putting that forward. Um, and then when we looked into it, it this is not a temporary thing. It think it, it seems McDonald's is gonna in Europe or in the Netherlands is gonna do this going forward. So Um, I think it speaks to, again, what a theme on this podcast where in Europe, there's just an awareness about climate and sustainability and the average consumer is not necessarily looking to go vegan, but looking to reduce, um, looking to have options that are meatless and food service and retailers are really going for it and and working to meet that, that demand. What do you think?
1: I, I think this is, as always, something that I love to see. And I'm like, why can't this happen in the U.S.? Right. Like I <laughs> whatever's going on in, in, <laughs> in Europe is just so positive. I, I my head always goes to I really wish I understood what made this or what's making this a permanent change in these countries and in, in this region of the world. As opposed to the temporary test launches that we see in the U.S., like M- McDonald's and and KFC and uh, and even even Taco Bell in the U.S. have tried things and launched it. It seems like there's generally positive receptions from an outsider's standpoint, but then it gets taken off. It, it, it's not kept permanently. So in 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 Europe or in the Netherlands, in this case, it's um, it's very encouraging. I wish i had that data right like what what was the driver they say it's because consumers are demanding it but is it is it just from that is it really the corporate executives in those regions are more open to it is it that regulatory bodies in that area are trying to get mcdonald's to change i don't know what the answer is but that's where my head goes to either way this is amazing and it makes me excited from like a long-term standpoint because McDonald's is a convenience play. People go to McDonald's, yes, because of price and it tastes good, but like a lot of people go there just because they have no time and they need something quick uh, and easy. And that includes people who have kids. So yeah, obviously it's not the healthiest thing to feed the kids but that means kids in the Netherlands and kids in these countries where this is becoming more prominent and permanent, um, the shift to a plant-based menu in in some capacity even if it's not fully plant-based. That's going to become the norm for them. They're going to get used to seeing that uh, for their their whole lives. So, the long term impact of this could be pretty pretty major.
0: Exactly, Steve. You're you're hitting the nail on the head. It's 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 all about signaling, right, and nudging. And this is a major move by arguably, you know, the most visible fast food, if not restaurant chain, in the world. Um, and you know, those Golden Arches have power. And for a hundred percent, the norm. Exactly. And this goes back to what we talked about last week with the research about the recipes and how meat recipes are the norm. And we need to switch that. The idea is, I think we're getting more comfortable in the space with this idea that it's about reduction. And it's not mm-hmm. about converting to one thing or another. And in Europe, it, you, I don't have exact data, right? But there are a few things in Europe that we can point to. One of them being that there ha- it has been less of an extreme conversation in Europe where, yes, you yeah. have vegans and the animal right-led movement. But in terms of a sustainable diet and reducing meat, that has been much more in a general sense of it's a responsible climate action to do. And I think the other thing that that you can see here is that McDonald's feels like it's meeting a demand. Whereas Mm -hmm. the rumors I've heard about, you know, the trials in the U.S. is that they looked at sales and the sales just like weren't there to justify Mm. keeping it going. And I don't know that for a fact. And I don't believe McDonald's has gone on record on that. But then you have it in the U.K. where they did a trial and it was so successful, they went nationwide. And then they started launching across countries. So McDonald's is moving where there seems to be demand. So the issue is why is the demand less in the US? Yeah, I mean that's, I mean, that's the, the key market question. and it's complicated but still. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's
1: the the billion trillion dollar question like what's driving the demand, right? So um I mean, so my my head goes to the positive side on this one because, yeah, it's not the U.S., which is where a lot of my my time and energy gets focused. But I do focus internationally, and I mean, if if all of Europe is is seemingly shifting to to this direction, um, then that's great. This is a very positive signal in 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 the right direction.
0: Absolutely. So, what else stood out to you in this kind of really full newsletter this week? it was very
1: full i was like all right let me i'm gonna prep for this i'll read through i'll pick my things and it's like oh my god this is a very long one which is which is awesome right um but uh actually was the the next thing on the newsletter uh about upside so it says upside foods announced that they're gonna have a new commercial scale manufacturing facility near chicago um, and that'll i be producing ground cultivated chicken products with um, millions of pounds uh, per year of initial capacity that's super vague millions. I don't know. It could be 2 million. It could be a hundred million. Right. So I I don't know what that means, but either way it says new facility. And honestly, I'm, I'm really interested to get your take on this because my take was like a little frustrated to say the least. I'm not an investor in upsides with, with the firm that I'm with. So I don't have inside information or anything, but I care about this space. And when I see, when I think of upside, I think, of over 400 million dollars that have been raised for this one company to make cultivated products and they have a a very well-known facility in emeryville california there's a lot of videos and pictures with beautiful twenty thousand liter bioreactors that are just stacked next to each other right there's a long line of them it all looks nice and perfect and then even somewhere else in the newsletter talks about something that came out uh that says their current production process for what's on the market is not scalable because that's for whole cut meat. And this new facility is focused on non-whole cuts, minced products, which that is the more scalable approach in the here and now, right? It's still gonna be really hard to make it at a good price point, but that's the more scalable approach. All that's to say is you raise $400 million, you have a beautiful facility that has many bioreactors and it's state of the art everything why are you building a new facility? It doesn't matter even if it's in Chicago and there's a lot of meat production out there, like it, or in that in that area of the country. Like if I was an investor, I would be a little pissed. I'd say you blatantly overspent on something that was completely unnecessary, which is a state-of-the-art facility that apparently does a bunch of nothing in emeryville california so i mean i I might piss off some people at upside for saying that but that's honestly what i thought so yeah it's great build the facility i hope it's successful but from a cash flow management standpoint crazy inefficient but what do you think uh
0: it's a yeah it's been a tough week I think for upside if, if I if I'm looking at it because obviously the there was this you know big piece in Wired where it seems the the reporters um, got a bunch of information from either former or existing upside employees it seemed like there were quite a handful um no specific names all anonymous but enough where it felt like there's there seems to be some issues. Um, at the company. Um, And what I'm hearing, I'm not, you know, I'm, it's really interesting to hear your point of view as an investor. I look at it more, I was looking at it more like, okay, if a consumer would read this, what's, what are they getting from it? I have to say the piece was extremely long and extremely technical. And I'm not sure the average consumer would follow um, the whole thing and and actually be that invested because you're getting into the weeds of, you know, how cultivated meat works and whether they're using a bioreactor or these kind of roller bottles. And in the industry, it had been known that they'd been using the roller bottles. So it, it for me, this, the article for a consumer or a mainstream reader just goes into the pile of, oh, you know, lab grown meat is either a scam or it's 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 just not going to work. I I think if you're not a fan of lab grown meat already, you're it's just going to get you to not still continue not to be a fan. But if you're curious about it and you're not particularly scientific, I don't know that this is the piece for you. Um I think that I I think that it's unfortunate that some of these details have come to light. But for me, my overall read is like, I wouldn't discount the upside team. I think there's a lot going on. And I think I think the next kind of 12 months for them are gonna be critical. Um, I think the bigger issue is that they are sort of a beacon in the industry. They were the official first incorporated cultivated meat company in the world. They've raised the most money of any cultivated meat company, I believe. Um, So there's a lot riding on it. They are one of the two companies that got regulatory approval. Notably, though, the regulatory approval is for the whole cuts, not for the ground chicken that they would be using their new facility for. Mm -hmm. So that would require another round of, of approval. So that's another interesting fact. I think... I've, I've heard from a couple of people on the upside side and for them, the whole thing about the whole cuts was to create this kind of desire around, well, this kind of excitement and awe around, you know, building the future of food, which I, I sort of can understand. And like on some level, all these companies were kind of building something from nothing. Um,
1: I, I get that. But like, I do have an issue with that because there's just no need to present it in the way that it was presented. Like if you are starting with a whole cut, and getting that approved from a regulatory standpoint, that's amazing that you could do that. But it should have been made very, very blatantly clear. This whole cut is not going to be mass market anytime soon, actually, it's more of just to show what we're capable of. But the first commercial product is not going to be this. And when I say commercial product, I, I think of it from like a scale standpoint. I don't think like and selling- not, not at, what they're at,
0: doing with Dominique Cran at the tastings, right? No,
1: no. That's super cool. And again, it's like a historic thing. But like even even for me, as someone who looks at this space constantly, I, but I am an outsider to upside, I, I was- thinking, uh, Wow, they're they're starting with a whole cut. That's pretty that's pretty impressive. That's interesting. I, I I wouldn't have expected that. And then it comes out that my my surprise was based on like my realities, and it was factual that they can't do this at scale. So it just feels like they should have come out and said, "Yeah, we're starting with this, but this is definitely a super niche product for for now, and we're really going to be focusing on commercializing and getting regulatory approval for minced products, and that's what we're Aiming at, but this is this just shows what we can do, and that's not how it was presented. Right. Um, I think this is. But, the- but but again, like even even remove the wire piece. Maybe the wire piece never even happened, and people don't know the details of roller bottles and all that stuff. It just it's blatantly evident that there was an inefficient use of resources when they have a huge facility that's putting producing basically no chicken, and they're going to build another facility like i i'm right. frustrated by that i am
0: and that's understandable and i think i i think you know the probably most most investors would agree with you Maybe perhaps people at the company as well um i think on the former topic that really comes down to you know whether you believe that a company should only be working on something that they they're going to matter or 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 how it's it's complicated because I can see both sides I can see why they would work on something that is awe-inspiring but eventually have realized that scaling that was just going to be way too was going to take way too long um and so what's not clear is like did they change their mind along the way um based on the tests and and pilots they were doing or did they know from the start for me I doubt that they knew from the start i mean this reminds me of another founder talking about you know doing cultivated uh crustacean lines and realizing after a few years that it's a lot harder than it seemed and certain mm-hmm. milestones were not able to be reached um and i think this is where it's like are they are they shooting for the stars and then not getting there and then how, how much how how much of the of, of a founder's responsibility is it to alert the world about when they're not hitting the milestones that they thought they were gonna hit, right?
1: I, I that's a good point. I don't think it's they have to tell the world, right? I don't think that that's even necessary. I, I think that's a more nuanced discussion around how to market things, how to, when to say what to who, um, and like there that's gonna be very subjective. So like I yeah I have my thoughts on what upshot upside could have done, should have done, etc but like quite honestly if if they did everything exactly the same as they've done like and but and they this new facility was not being built i i didn't really have much of an issue with what they were doing like it's okay so you you got regulatory approval for a non scalable whole cut product fine okay like you're not going to scale that that's okay you didn't really make it as clear as maybe some people thought you should but whatever like, when the when the Wired piece came out, while it was a very well-written and researched piece, I didn't really care that much, right? Like, I just didn't think it would have that much of an impact. But that changes entirely when all of a sudden they're saying, not only is this not scalable, but everything we've built at that huge, great facility that everyone's seen so much of, that's actually not even operational. And it's... Just going to be a nice trophy, so like that's now I care, right? <laughs> like then, because like that's it's like oh, a, a blatant misuse of of money that either could have been used better by Upside. Maybe it could have gone to other companies in the space to push impact forward. It's so I agree with you on the nuanced marketing idea, but and maybe I'm going to get a lot of a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'd like a to- lot of pushback
0: from Upside on this, but like. I I'm I'm
1: I think this is a really bad luck for them.
0: I hope that we get some feedback from listeners. And if anyone's at upside and from other investors and from other startups in the space about what people are feeling. I mean, it's never it's been a hard time in general for all protein and media headlines have not been kind and and informate, you know, like outings like this don't necessarily help in general, but at the same point in time, it's definitely going through some serious growing pains. And now, it's, yeah. yeah, and we're going to. Yeah, and,
1: and uh, I would love feedback. Like if anyone from outside yeah. is listening and they're like, Steve is an idiot. Tell me, tell me, tell me why I'm an idiot. I am a mission driven investor. I want to see progress in this space. And I think this was bad. So tell me I'm wrong. I would love that. I would love to hear why. Um, but anyway, that was enough ranting. No. Me. no. We,
0: we what about brands, you? Hopefully you have something better to talk about.
1: <laughs> None at
0: all. It upside is it's a super important story and it's great to have the investor perspective. Um my fav- favorite story of the week was we did a, a whole piece on Ulpro, which is a, a, a pretty um big plant-based dairy brand, especially in Europe. Um, and we actually have it over here in Asia as well. Um, They do, they're well known for their yogurts and their plant-based milks, and they did a complete redesign of their packaging. And our reporter had a chat with the, so All Pro is owned by Danone, and Danone's global plant-based marketing director spoke to us about the rebrand and kind of, for me, I really appreciated her perspective and how they chose to look at the category and the products. And so they went with a really different direction. Um, again, this is a European brand. So so there's a lot of in, interesting kind of how, it, it probably speaks to how European consumers think about things and how they're feeling, but they worked with this fantastic global design agency called Elmwood. Um, and the idea was to go for an ingredient and kind of beautiful, fruit and, and nut and an ingredient approach rather than focus on things like plant-based. She also was very clear that for her plant-based, she no longer looks at it as an alternative. She just looks at it as a product category in its own right. Um, and it the I think the packaging is quite beautiful. It really stands out on the shelf. And it's it's going back to this idea that consumers are interested in the supply chain and the sourcing and the ingredient rather than maybe the ideology is kind of how I felt like what she was saying. Um, she also felt, she also talked a lot about standing out on the shelf um, and you know was very clear that there are now so many plant-based milk brands. Um, she specifically referenced choosing sustainability over wacky marketing, which I kind of took as a bit of a dig at Oatly and like brands like that have sort of tried to copy Oatly. Um, But really for her, it was going back to the basics of quality food and ingredients and sourcing and almost, it kind of reminded me almost of, you know, I spent a lot of time in the organic industry and kind of like, uh, almost like an organic product marketing where you're letting the quality of the ingredient be put forward and speak for itself. So again, it kind of speaks to this idea that we're seeing more and more of in the space across the Europe, across Europe, but also across you know the globe of where we're just evolving as an industry, and 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 brands are looking at things differently, and not really just hanging their hat on this is a plant-based alternative to dairy or to meat
1: yeah i love this this is this is great and i think one thing that you said during that that was like man can we like can we write that somewhere like the idea that that a a dannon led company someone there said that plant-based milks are not an alternative anymore like that's a really big thing like mm. because there's a lot of people in that are deep in our space right that that we, we say, we should position this not as alt protein. It shouldn't be thought of as an alternative because that makes it seem like it's a lesser offering than, than yeah. whatever the primary thing is. But it's one thing for people like us to say that, like that's how we should market it versus someone at a leading global dairy company that has a plant-based division saying, yeah, we don't see this as an alternative. This is actually just like, it's a very strong category. Uh, that's that so that was super exciting for me. And then i I just totally agree with this approach to changing the the marketing and and the uh, packaging and labeling. Like I just think that it, it's been said by by various individuals who are much smarter on this topic than I am, but like it, it's it's important to show the consumer that they're getting something good from plant-based as opposed to less of something bad. Um, so highlighting the positive nutritional benefits of of all pros plant-based milks um, and why it's why consumers are getting something positive out of it that's much better than saying like vegan or plant-based or like or like dairy-free or whatever you want to call it Um, because people want to feel like if they're buying something they're getting they're getting a benefit from it so And this is just again a similar idea to the mcdonald's discussion just massive massive players that are really thinking thoughtfully about this and moving the needle so i think this is great
0: absolutely i mean she has this quote where she says by highlighting the ingredients we bring back plant-based to what it's about which is the absolute beauty of plants and what they offer so that's really at the core of what this i'm assuming someone like 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 this person um, H- Hedwig Borgers, who's the head of uh, mar- of plant based marketing at Danone, I'm assuming she has access to every single piece of information and data. Um, oh yeah. Data, right. So like this is someone who is not guessing, <laughs> is is working with a team of experts and has access to all the data. And for for them to come out with this messaging and this this packaging style, it's it really shows you that space is growing evolving and we're rethinking and repositioning um the whole the whole thing and i think yeah the world the word alternative really needs to be moved we need to move on from it
1: definitely definitely
0: all right well it's it's that time where we where, where i'll let you do it this week pick a a positive story to end on I guess we've had- Yeah, a- so it's funny because it I feel like the,
1: the story you just brought up with All Pro, like, that seemed pretty positive. So like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm happy already, but um, the one that I'll call out is that um, PepsiCo, they unveiled that they, they have a, a brand uh, called Muscle Milk. I, I actually don't know how global it is, but I can tell you that in the US, it is an incredibly prominent brand. It is primarily used by health and wellness and fitness enthusiasts as a protein shake. Oh yeah. Um, the, muscle that milk that is- brand
0: is in all the gyms here and across. Okay. Like Don't worry. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's as much in the supermarkets, but it's in all the kind of health and wellness stores and then protein powder stores and the gyms, the gyms, a lot of gyms.
1: Awesome. Exactly. Okay, great. So like people know this is, this is a monster, monster brand. And um, so they, they've announced that they have unveiled muscle milk, plant protein shakes, which are ready to drink plant protein drinks um, that are supposed to deliver on all the health and wellness stuff that, that the traditional, uh, offerings have. This one called out to me because yes, again, we're talking about a massive company, Pepsi owns muscle milk. So the signaling effect is, is, is huge, but beyond just that, um, I, I have a lot of experience in the health and wellness and fitness industry, uh, from past experience, personal experience. And I can tell you, especially in the U S the, the culture around bodybuilding weightlifting fitness is is very anti plant-based it's it there's a big assumption that if you're not getting something from an animal product whether it's meat or or dairy or eggs that it's lesser right from a fitness standpoint so and and one of the biggest players in this space is muscle milk so for the them to come out with a plant protein offering it's we'll see how it does, right? I'm hopeful that it does well, because that's, that's going to be a really important aspect. But this kind of reminds me of what we were talking about with McDonald's in, in Europe and in the Netherlands, where the signaling effect on the behavior change for people is, I think it has massive potential. Because this isn't, there are already plant-based protein shakes that exist worldwide, right? There's a bunch of brands, but they're not muscle milk. And muscle hmm. milk is, they're a signaler. So if this was just, oh, another plant-based protein company came out um, with, with a protein shake, I really wouldn't even care at all. Um, that, that would be great. Good for them. Hopefully they're successful, but I wouldn't think much of it. But this is muscle milk and that's that's different to me. So I I love this.
0: I love that. And yeah, you hear muscle, you hear protein, you hear, hate to say it, masculinity, sports, fitness, strength, power. So for that, again, to have, as you call it, the signaling of something that is dairy free as part of that, it's, it's super powerful, super strong.
1: I agree. So
0: I feel like we we, we, went, we went a little, little hard on the, the upside piece, but other stuff has been pretty positive this week, to be honest. It's been really positive in terms of just evolution and I hate hate to bang on my on my same drama as always, but understanding your consumer and hearing what they want and adapting and big brands really making moves. This is this is positive stuff.
1: I agree. Maybe that should be the title this week. Big brands making moves.
0: <laughs> yes, big brand and signals, signals, signals. Nudges, yeah, I nudges, love it. nudges. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, awesome. I mean, I have a, I have the second have, full day of the good you food have a conference. Packed ahead
0: of me. You've got lots of folks to, to go and, and, and meet. So I count including so many people I love. I can't wait to hear the, the updates next week and your takeaways and uh, go and have a great time. And, and everybody else will see you next week.